Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We will point out just the very end of First Peter chapter three to give us a little context. The therefore, uh, in this in this particular passage of scripture, um, now to give just a, a little bit of a background. Again, First Peter was written uh, to a church during to the church during the time of of uh, persecution. So, I say. First Peter was written during the time of more of the church being under attack, um, which there were plenty of individuals who were targeted because the church was under attack as well. But there was there was a difference between um, what was kind of going on in First Peter, what was going on in Second Peter, verse um, in Second Peter. But First Peter, they were still going through a lot of persecutions. The church was being was being basically attacked by. Uh, Judaizers, individuals who didn't believe in Jesus Christ, who were trying to find converts to the church in Jerusalem. Um, but these individuals, uh, they created a lot of problems. Uh, and the problems that they typically created was one that we see today where individuals throw the word Christian around very loosely. Um, to, to some people, Christians, uh, Christians, or I should say Christianity is not, how did I say it last week? Christianity is not a thing. Christianity is a verb. If a chicken walks around screaming it's a duck, does it make it a duck? Of course not, because the chicken still has all the chicken's characteristics. Okay? There's a difference between a chicken and a duck. So if a chicken's walking around calling itself a duck... And it's obviously, because of its characteristics, is a chicken. This is really what Christianity has turned out like in 2022. That word Christian, it's easy to throw around. It brings people, in many cases, a false sense of peace. Because there are many individuals in the world who really don't understand what this Christianity thing is. Christianity is not going to church sitting in a pew. I mean, going to church and sitting in a pew or going to church and sitting in a Sunday school class, or those are forms of worship for us. Um, and, and to put this a little bit into perspective, if we are Christians and we wake up on Sunday mornings because that's when our culture has decided to worship, and we say, you know what, not because of any particular reason, but just because I don't want to go today. I just don't want because people have valid reasons for not going to church. That's We don't criticize anybody who has valid reasons for it, okay? But let's all be honest. How many times in your lifetime, how many of you in your lifetime have ever woke up on Sunday morning and said, you know what, I really just don't feel into it today? I ask you a question. When a Christian says, I just don't feel that into it today, what does that say about the spiritual state of the individual in that instant. Because how many of us ask God for something at least one day, one time every day? And it's not supposed to be, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get my I'm going to even up the marks what God's helping me. I'm going to go and grace 
grace his building with my presence the opportunities that I have to do. Christianity is about lost people finding Christ. That's how we got here, and that's how anybody else is going to get here. By individuals realizing when God called us into this life, regardless of what may be going on in our life, he expects us to be individuals who are carrying out his call in your life. I said the word, you're on purpose. Yes, I'm included in that, but my life is my life, your life is your life. We're going to get into the gifts in a little bit. Not, not the list of gifts, but we're going to talk about gifts a little bit. But the question is, if individuals are on fire for Jesus, do they run around looking for opportunities to sin? They don't. Do they sin? Yes. But see, the line in the scripture is very clear. It's not if you sin, you are not a Christian. That's not how that works. I've told you before. Christians, there are no perfect people. The perfect Christian is a repentant Christian. Someone who's willing to admit that they have faults. Someone who's willing to admit that they need to turn away from those faults. Someone who's willing to admit that regardless of where we are, that Christ still has a call on our life that both encourages the sanctification and salvation of ourselves and the sanctification and salvation of others. Our entire purpose. That's what it's supposed to be as a church. You know what, honestly, most of this most of this is full of? Most of this is full of us being told by God to settle down. I mean, this is about this. This is about if if I want to keep you as church members or increase my chances of keeping you as church members, then I'd better wake up in the morning with a thought of what it is that I have to say or do today is going to benefit you, not me. It's going to benefit you, not me. That doesn't mean I get left out because I get to benefit from everybody else benefiting me and not themselves. See how this works? So this concept of Christianity, accountability to each other, the validity of the difficulties that we'll face as human beings, the challenges that that creates and the struggles that that creates in the very real everyday operation of life, those are real things. But we can't allow it to distort or manipulate what God's purpose is for us. So, I'll say this, and then we'll get into the verses. Everything that we model as a Christian should point to Christ. Very simple. It should point to Christ. That song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As a Christian society in this country, and I can speak this blatantly, even though I know 100% of the people were not guilty of this, Most people who are Christians have taken their eyes off of Jesus. 
Sometimes it's just once and for a very short amount of time. And I remind you of a story in the New Testament where Peter was walking on the water, or Jesus was walking on the water. Peter sees him and says, Jesus, allow me to come to you. Jesus says, well, come on. Steps out of the boat, takes two or three steps. The storm distracts him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts to sink. And that's a very, very clear metaphor, folks. When we're living life and we're in dangerous situations and we're in situations that are trying to rob us from glorifying God, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we also begin to sink. So the last part of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, and I don't even really have a good jumping part point from, uh, so we're going to start at and, which is a bad rule, but it makes the point, so we're going to use it. Verse 21 of chapter 3 says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Before we go into these verses, I want you to understand the, the point that this is making. The point that this is making is that Jesus has won. He's won. He's taken care of everything. And if we look at the promises he's made to us, even the difficulties that we face, he has won. Tell me what challenge you can face that removes God from his throne. Not one of them. And people are looking at the world, they're saying, wow, look how all of this is playing out. I got news for you. It has played out, and the war is over. We're just fighting the battle. The war's over. Jesus went back to heaven because everything was put into subjection under him. Once he made the world his footstool, he was done. What did he say? He didn't say done. My teacher wife over there get on to me. When Jesus was hanging on the cross before he took his last breath, what did he say? It is finished. The war is over. End game. Death. And that was the end game. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, you arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Now we think suffering in the flesh is talking only about persecution. But it's not. Does it hurt when you don't have what you want? Let me give you an example. You ever want to kill somebody, but you knew that Jesus wouldn't let you, so you couldn't do it? I mean, be angry enough at somebody that's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> You're pretty lucky that Jesus is in the picture. I mean, I'm talking angry. How many times have you wanted to say something but held your tongue? How many times have you wanted to hit somebody but didn't do it? And let me ask you something. What's going on inside your brain and inside your spirit? When you, everything in you wants to say it, everything in you wants to do it, but Jesus is sitting there going, no, 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 no. 
Is it easy to keep your mouth shut? Nope. It's not easy to keep your mouth shut. You know why? Because I want what I want. And if I, if I feel like I want to say it, then it's important for me to say it. And I need to be able to say it. Right? Regardless of what Jesus thinks. You know, every time you deny yourself a temptation, you're suffering. Every time that human fallen nature that is within you comes face to face with a holy, righteous God. There's no way we can't see our impurities. There's no way that we as individuals, and, and, and the thing is this, a person who says specifically, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's saying specifically there that individuals who suffer in the flesh, who push back their temptations, who push back their lust, who push back the bad things in life, those individuals have ceased from sin. And again, he's not saying that they don't sin at all. He's saying that the desire of sin has been wiped from their mind. And it doesn't start because of the way that it affects everybody else. For us as Christians, it starts because of the relationship that we were brought into through Christ and the sacrifice that he made. In other words, folks, I'm not a preacher to do a whole bunch of good. It's much simpler than that. I'm a preacher because he made me one. Now, the benefits of that aren't mine. Unless you'd all like to just walk out and pat me on the back today for a sermon delivered. The gift isn't something that I walked by and picked up. The gift isn't something that I asked for. The gift is something that God gave me. And if God gave me something that I didn't have before, why would he, why would he do that? If you're framing a house and you've got a dude standing next to you watching you drive nails, and you hand him a hammer, what's he think he's supposed to do with it? Pound nails! Right? As Christians, we've got to be people who are pounding nails and not people who are standing there watching other people do it. Do you face the potential threat of smashing your thumb? Yes. Might cut yourself on a piece of equipment? Absolutely. Board may fall over and hit you in the head. Yes, could happen. But it doesn't stop you from building a house. He's paid the price. He's won the war. He has done everything necessary to earn our love, our respect, our honor, and our glory. And we show that, we reciprocate that to him by being individuals who just listen to him. Your convictions are not my convictions. My convictions are not your convictions. You make sure that your convictions are your convictions. You make sure that if God's talking to you, and so many people are like, oh, what a bummer. I mean, it hurts when God convicts me of something. Do you know how awesome it is that out of 7 billion people on the planet, you just heard God speak to you personally? That's crazy. He loves you so much that when you hear a convicting word and, and your heart tightens up in your chest, that's God saying, look, I love you. I want to deliver you from this. Will you let me help you? What makes me think he could help? Because the war is won. He's beat the enemy. 
the truth is, we're like, as human beings, we're like the mice who run around in that little, in that little maze looking for the cheese. Because we're so blindsided, we can't see the fact that God dropped a cheese in our lap. And we still run around the stinking maze looking for the cheese. When the truth is, God's cheese ain't exactly what we typically want, right? Verse 3 says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So I'm going to give you a picture of what this is. If you look every one of these up in the Greek, it forms a very clear picture of a mob who has absolutely no morals. A mob with no morals. Um, every one of these, every one of these that are listed here, I can create a list for you. I went through the list myself, and there is a long list of things that are included in this. But if you could imagine, we're talking the individuals that he was talking about, because he's talking about real people at that time who were really doing these things, people who are calling themselves Christians, and they go out and they do all of these things. And Paul knew how, or Peter knew how damaging that was to the church. We're talking morality that is so grotesque. Public orgies in the middle of the street. And believed that it was all an act of worship to their own God. Murder without a line. Stealing with no line. Rape with no line. Sodomy with no line. Full on immorality. And you say, well, man, I don't know anybody who's a part of any church who's that bad. But again, how bad does somebody have to be before it's considered bad? How much of a crack can you have in the frame of your vehicle before you consider it dangerous? The truth is we spend a whole lot more time maintaining our cars and our houses than we do maintaining our relationship with Jesus. The time past is sufficient. Serious question. Before you come to know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, the things in our lives that we lived through and lived with, the choices we made that were not the right choices, how many of the decisions that you made when you were apart from Christ worked out well? Because the truth is, you're just like the majority of the people on the planet. Because when we do it, we mess it up. The time past is sufficient. In other words, at what point is it enough? At what point do we actually connect the dots and see how our actions are stopping people from coming to know the Lord? How our actions are stopping people from taking full advantage of the opportunities that are around us. And people say, well, I'm saved by grace. It's not like I'm going to get in trouble for that. And I've actually had people say that to me. And I'm like, wow, where's your heart? When somebody says, hey, you know, there are a lot of people going to go to hell who don't hear the gospel, and the first thing we do is defend ourselves by saying, I'm fine with that. 
the change in the Christian's life is not a change in, in the body, it's a change in the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 points that out very clearly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. I know what the will of God is. Why should I have to prove it? Because the proof is ministry. If I believe it, I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to do it because of the benefit to me. I'm going to do it for the benefit of the lost. I'm going to do it for the benefit of those who are learning. One thing's for sure, and I can tell you this as a pastor, folks. I have any inclination whatsoever that somebody's somebody's locked into um, anything up there. You can't be a member of this church. You can't teach Sunday school class. You can't work in a nursery. I won't let you lift a pencil. And it's all because people who are stuck in that lifestyle, who have no desire to come out of it, do absolutely no good to the church, they actually destroy it. Because if any person can justify to themselves any outright blatant sin, then what are they going to teach the kids that are sitting around the table with them? And I've had people, you wouldn't let them join the church because they're living together? No. Well, that seems like a very small infraction. What if, what if, uh, what is it called, common law? I know Missouri don't have common law, but a lot of people are like, we've been married for over seven years. A lot of states have common law, so we're married. No, you're not. You didn't stand before God. Take your vows to him. What's the danger then? The danger is, once we open the door to one part of immorality, you can't close it on the rest. Either the Bible's true or it's not. Either it's applicable to everyday life or it's not. It's one or the other. And a large portion of the church in the country... They're not living their lives as Christians. I'll tell you what they're hoping for, though. They're hoping that there's enough grace to get them through. Verse 4 says, And in all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I love the word account being used here. Because you can look at it this way. We will always be surrounded by people who live life one experience at a time. Drugs, alcohol, sex. Go down the list. When we become Christians, our heart really does change. And I realize that our bodies struggle, especially if we are people who have created habits. It's difficult. But I don't know one person that I've ever met in my life 
who when they when they witnessed somebody not doing something out of selfishness but doing it out of looking out for the other person i have not had one case where somebody had looked at me and said why in the world would you do that makes no sense to them why not satisfy yourself and say whatever you want to make me feel good right and that's what's important that's how I feel. Not. If we're individuals who have truly turned away from that style of a lifestyle, then we not only understand the negative effect that it has on us, we understand even more so the negative effect that it has on someone else. They will give an account to him. The fact is, there's people in two different categories. There is one set of individuals who has an account that has been paid in full. It is in the black, and it will stay in the black. Because those are the ones that Jesus paid for. So there are other people who have an account that's in the red. And those individuals doing what they do, we do what we do for the sake of others. They do what they do for the sake of themselves. And they don't care who they have to hurt in order to satisfy themselves. So they're going to give an account to him. They're going to give an account for every person that they led astray. And folks, it doesn't mean you have to teach something to lead somebody astray. If you are habitually committing an act of sin in front of people, you are leading people astray. If somebody knows that you're a Christian, they are defining Jesus Christ based on your actions. Did you hear me? That's huge. They are defining Jesus Christ based on our actions. So when people who have never stepped foot in a church say those Christians, they just think they're better than everybody else, where do they get it from? All Christians want to do is just make a bunch of rules and make you follow them. Well, where did that come from? I don't know. Maybe Southern Baptists had a little bit to do with that. Don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke. Are they bad things? Can they do bad things to you? Yes. But you won't find one place in the scripture that says not to dance. You won't find one place in the scripture that says not to drink. You won't find it. I've challenged guys a lot smarter than me after looking for 25 years. It's not there. It's not there. The truth has to matter. Not just the truth in printed form, but the truth in the way we accept it. We don't get to accept half of it, redefine the other half, and, and throw it in trash. We don't get to do that. Either we will be people who are Christians, who are defined by the conduct of their lives, matching up with the scriptures. Folks, we... We as a church in this country, I mean, honestly, you want to know what part of my mood's about? I'll tell you what part of my mood's about. How in the world? I see that statistic the other day. You know how many people are attending church in the United States now compared to two years ago? 17% of people who attended church two years ago are going to church right now. 17%. 
there are some some higher numbers than that when you include the people who are actually looking online and you know watching the stuff watching the videos that are posted and so those numbers will come up but how far do they have to come up before you can actually say that's a pretty good number we're driven by fear we're driven by economics we're driven by health we're driven by we're driven by so many things and just how hard has it been when we've been knocked off just how hard has it been to knock us off Do you think that it's do you think that there's a struggle before it knocks us off or do you think for the most part people are just not able to hold on The church in this country and I'm talking about the people has been cut off at its knees Is that discouraging? Yes. Is that exciting? Yes. It's discouraging because never fun to watch people get beat up like a rag doll. But on the other hand, it also provides us an opportunity to get stronger. But before we before we can get stronger, we have to take advantage of the opportunity. And that means pressing the things that are not productive out of our minds, allowing things that are productive in not allowing things that cause us to go immoral, but actually charging the things that define our morality in Christ. Verse 6 says, For the gospel has been for this purpose preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Again, He's not talking about baptizing dead people here. He's talking about these individuals who are already reaping the benefits of the life that they chose in Christ. These are individuals that during the time span of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and Peter's writing of this letter, had trusted in Christ and passed away. So the gospel wasn't preached to dead people. The gospel was preached to people when they were alive, who had then passed away. So Peter says the gospel has been preached even to those who are dead, meaning they passed away of natural causes. Those individuals who trusted in Christ in that very short amount of time are going to be beneficiaries to the blessing. They're beneficiaries. So even though they're judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Judged in the flesh by men, how important is our conduct when it comes to the way other people look at us, other people see us? Does the Bible address it? I mean, how many times does the Bible tell us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we've been called? How many times does it, does it try to encourage immorality? I'm going to tell you again, folks, I've, I've been very generic in this for a reason, because I believe that God was very generic in this. And the reason God was very generic in this was that each one of you that are in this place may not get the same thing out of this message as everyone else. Matter of fact, I would almost guarantee that you won't if you're listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to address to each and every one of you um, every decision that you make. And then, and then the individuals that are around you, they're the ones that are going to judge your character. They're the ones that are going to be, this is where it's beneficial. But what character can be judged once you've gone to heaven and 
you're in your glorified body. What is there to judge? Well, this means one of two things. One, just hold on. Time's almost up for all of us. Okay? Number two, what is preventing us from putting forth more effort? I'm not talking about effort in something that I would stand up here and tell you, we all need to put effort towards this. I'm talking about the things that God convicts you on on a daily basis. What stops us from chaining ourselves to a pole somewhere to prevent us from doing what it is that God's told us not to do? Or what is it that's stopping us from running to the opportunity when the opportunity presents itself in life? Because the opportunity is all powerful, right? It's divine. God's the one who provides that opportunity. But what does it say about us as individuals when God says, here's an opportunity, and we go, I ain't ready yet. First time ever field dressed a deer. First deer ever killed. Watched dad do it a whole bunch of times. Never did look forward to the, my first opportunity to do that myself. Kind of got Zach in this spot right here now, too. So I'm telling, I'm telling on something. First time I killed that deer, Dad gutted it for me and showed me. He dressed it and showed me. Second deer I killed, he threw the knife down on the deer and he said, it's your turn. And I'm like, but wait a minute. I I like to eat deer. I like deer steaks. I like fried deer. I like deer stew. I like deer chili. I like, I like deer. But in order for the deer to get to the table, what's got to happen to it? It's not like we can shoot it, beat our chest, walk away, and walk in the house, and it's all prepared on the table, right? In order to get to the good stuff, and those of you who have processed deer know what I'm talking about, you've got to put up with a whole lot of work to get to the good stuff. And it starts with field dressing. That's where it starts. It's the same way with Christianity, folks. You want to get to the good stuff? then we've got, to, we've got to cross some pretty rough waters between here and there. The life that we've been called to live here and the life that we have been promised to get are two completely different lives. Work now, rest later. Rest now. Folks, I, I don't dare stand up here and draw a line that assuming people's salvation or lack of it. You tell me you trusted in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to take you at face value. I mean, it's if it's your lie, it's your eternity. But if the individuals that are in our life watch this closely, and I've put it this way a hundred times since I've been here, if you are arrested for being a Christian and put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Could they call forward enough witnesses to give absolute accounts of your acts of Christianity? Could they convict you? Then I ain't going to tell you the first thing to change, folks. And I ain't going to tell you the last thing to change. I'm just going to tell you pray. Listen to sermons. Sunday school class. Take every opportunity that we can to absorb all that we can. Because although we should be doing what we do 
solely for the cause of Christ. We have to realize the benefit that it is to everyone else. The more focused I am on Christ, the better husband I am. I'm fully willing to admit that. The more focused on Christ I am, the better dad I, that I am. The more focused on Christ, the better grandfather I am. The more focused on Christ, the better friend I am. The more focused on Christ, the better client I am when I'm standing on a Walmart in a Walmart aisle when they only have two open and there's 50 people in there and it's Christmas time the one thing that I hate and I am going to read just a little bit more here is what we've really turned this into because we've really turned the church into a mess I'm talking about the country. I'm not talking about individually Highland. I think Highland has together better than most when it comes to the when it comes to the truth, inerrancy of the Bible, infallibility of the Bible. Highland has it going on, but it's not exempt from what's going on in the world today. Let's read a little more. I don't want to keep you guys late. So let's. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Hmm. Sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. I want you to try something. The next time you start to commit an act that you know that God is not glorified in, pray. Next time you find yourself in a situation that you don't want to be obedient in something that does glorify God, pray. Because you know what prayer does? It reminds us that God will never leave us or forsake us. So when we're sitting in front of our computer looking at things that we ought not be looking at, guess who's sitting there next to us looking at them with us? And when a person reaches out on a shelf in Walmart, grabs something and slides it in their pocket, guess who's standing there next to them? When somebody treats their wife badly or treats their husband badly or treats their kids badly, I often imagine Jesus' response to some of the things that we experience in life around Christians. And I don't know whether he would show himself like I imagined he would be, or, but I could just imagine him starting to make a bad choice, and he goes, really? See, that's the conviction. If you notice, it's not that much different than when, when a person comes along and tells you something that you're doing is wrong. It's not that much different. When you know that it's wrong and a person comes by and says you're doing something that's wrong, it makes you feel the exact same way as when God says, hey, you're doing something wrong. Let me help you, straight, let me help you straighten that out. Verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Keeping fervent. You see this word fervent in relation to prayer and fervent in relation to uh, love as it is here and the fervency in the Greek is actually um, the word is rank R-A-N-K when we look at 
um, the word fervent, and it means the word rank, it basically is a is a crazy drive. Imagine what you would be like if you were strong enough to still move, but dehydrated enough to be really sick, okay? And you see a bucket of water 50 feet away from you. You're on the brink of dehydration. And you see a bucket of water 50 feet away from you. How do you approach the bucket of water? I would probably be fast. If I was that thirsty, there's a bucket of water over there, I'd probably gonna move pretty quick towards it, right? But what do Christians do? Oh, water. Where's the fervency in that? I knew a woman when I was young. We were at the church I grew up in. And there was a woman that had two kids that were lost, hadn't trusted in Christ. And if the Lord ever laid somebody on this woman's heart, God helped them. She was a, a prayer warrior. And she was not only a prayer warrior, she was one of them prayer warriors that when she was praying for you, you knew somebody was praying for you. Uh, I have met a few people in my life who had that kind of a gift. But when this woman was put in a situation that she just would not accept, she would lock herself in her bathroom. You know how long the longest period of time that she locked herself in that bathroom was? Three days. Never came out of the bathroom. Prayed for three days straight. Now whatever that was about, do you think she wanted to see God move? She wanted to see God move. Now imagine that fervency and love. The type of love that a child has. Have you ever had a little kid when you show up at work? A kid about or show up from work, show up from home, or show up to home from work? Little kid about two, three years old? When you pull up in the driveway, what do they do? That's fervent love, folks. There is no better picture than fervent love there. It's the type of love that is so genuine and explosive that they can't contain themselves. That's fervency. Let me ask you something. Have you ever loved your wife so hard that you just could not, you didn't feel like that you could satisfy what you felt like God was trying to get you to bless her with? Just grind. Go, 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 go. Everything that you do is to please the wife. Everything that you do is to try to make her happy. Everything that you do is... Have you ever done that? Almost all of us at some point in our life did. Right? And we remember, we remember the result of that, too. How many of you guys like being fawned over? Let's be honest. How many of you like being fawned over? Everybody does. Everybody does. And when we remember the fervency and love, it makes us so much more encouraging. It makes us so much more hospitable. It makes us so much more happy. And that's exactly the life that Christ has called us into. And I'm here to tell you folks, if there is any such thing as happiness, I guarantee you, 
as somebody who did look for it in other places, somebody who's known a lot of people who looked for it in other places, you find happiness in Christ. And that through the employment of your gifts. I'm going to let you read the last part so I don't keep you here till 1230. You can read it on your own. But I want you to look at it in context. Your gift is to bless everyone else. Just as everyone else's gift is to bless you. We aren't people just walking through some random world that's made out of random numbers. There's purpose in life. God has a path that he wants us all to walk on, and that path is a path that we have the ability. And it's never too late, folks. Don't think about yesterday. Today's a new day. Honestly, if if, if we want to beat ourselves up over our mistakes, all of us would be beating ourselves up a lot. Jesus doesn't expect us to be beat up over our mistakes. He expects us to admit them and then make the adjustment in life that's required. I may continue on with this some this evening. We'll see if I can if I can do that. But my encouragement to you as we leave today is this. In a nutshell. Life's hard. It's easy to get caught up in the bad things. It's easy to get caught up in things that we just the fallen nature likes. But just know that all of those things is what gets in the way of our happiness. All of those things is what prevents us from being who it is that Jesus has truly called us to be. Not to do it for my glory or your own, but for the glory of Jesus. If you're here today, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, um, today's the day of salvation. But don't do it because the preacher asked you to. Only if the Holy Spirit tells you, you come up here and talk to me. If you're here today and you're a believer, there is plenty of room uh, in every one of our lives for the Lord to work. Fifty years old. Some in here beat me and been on this journey for a really long time and as much as we've chased it perfection is just out of reach but we sure get closer over the years and that's all God's looking for he's looking for what he gave that affected salvation for us for us to now turn around and give that may affect salvation for others sanctification personal benefit salvation others benefit thanks again for listening if you have questions about becoming a christian discipleship or if you have prayer requests you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash highland southern bc have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit the highland gospel mission was produced by zach link with preaching by keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.